You think, I'm doing that already. God's dealt with me. I've learned it. That's a good lesson. But listen for what's the one thing that he's wanting to to work on this month and say, hey, I'm going to focus on that and let Jesus work that into my character. Uh, So as I mentioned, the worship Jesus showed up early and and preached my message or stole my thunder or whatever it may be. The the first lesson I have for you, if you want to be successful in life, don't let fear win. That, that was what I had in my notes. We sang about it. Jesus showed up to do it. And it's a great lesson to learn. Don't let fear win in your life. When I was younger, I don't, I don't remember exactly when it happened or how I was allowed to do it. But when I was younger, I saw the movie Jaws. Did anybody else see that movie? How long was it before you were able to go in the water again? Because... To this day, I am nervous about going into the ocean and, and thinking, oh, there, there are things that are bigger than me in this water, and, and I can't see them. I've, I've been to places where the water's clear and it's warm and you can see, but most of the beaches we've gone to in our lives, you're standing there on the beach and you can't even see your feet. Like, and, and then, you know, Silas, I, God bless you, Silas. I don't know why he does this, but he says, Dad, it's Shark Week. You want to watch this on TV with me? Or, or I, I saw this great movie, 47 Meters Down, or The Megalodon, and I'm like, why are you doing that? You're worse about the ocean than I am. But what did it stem from? It stemmed from when I was a kid, I gave into fear, I watched this movie, and I've let it affect me in my life to some degree. And I, I still, come on, not just the ocean. i, I got to be honest, like floating in a swimming pool at night. I'm... I'm wondering, what's down there? Could Jaws somehow have got out of the ocean, swum through the drain, and come up in my pool, and he's going to eat me? I don't know what it is, but I know it's, it's a lesson. It's a silly thing. We're laughing at it, but we can't let fear win in our lives. Because fear will hold us back. Fear is, is rampant. It seems like everybody deals with it in some form. Everybody's afraid of something or someone. I, I went online. I, I searched, give me a list of common phobias. You know, like, hey, an irrational fear of something. And, and I looked and it said, you know, just the common list. There were 205 items on just the common list of phobias. And I said, that's a problem. That's a problem if we're having those things. We're afraid of bugs. We're afraid of snakes. We're afraid of spiders. It might not have been Jaws. Maybe you watched arachnophobia when you were young. And now you can't walk in the basement and you're afraid there's a spider the size of a Toyota going to jump down off the ceiling on you. I don't know what it is, but fear is rampant in our lives. I, th- I think my son-in-law has papyrophobia. Anybody want to guess what that one is? Fear of paper. <laughs> Papyrophobia, because my son-in-law is of the generation of everything's digital and wireless. Don't I, I hold out a piece of paper and it's like holding garlic to a vampire or something? Like, don't hand me that. Maybe, maybe you have a friend that you've been thinking you'd like to see them come to church, and you you need to ask them if they have ecclesophobia. It's fear of the church, or theophobia, fear of God, and not the good kind. The scripture tells us to have that for for the Lord. I'm talking about I'm afraid to go into his house because something might happen. There are people that are afraid of everything. And uh, fear keeps us from experiencing the joys and the victories and the pleasures of life. There, There are things that we choose not to do because we're afraid and we miss out. And I want to encourage you today, don't let your fear of what could happen make nothing happen. Come on. 
Don't let your fear of what could happen make nothing happen in your life because sometimes we miss out and it really is just there's a root of I was afraid of what would happen if I did that and when I didn't do it, nothing happened. I could have missed some great trips to the beach with my family. I could have missed swimming in the grandkids with the grandkids in the ocean if I would have let fear rule my life. We have to get over those things and not miss out. What are you missing out in your life because of fear? That we just need to deal with it and get it out of our lives. Man, God asks us all the time. I love this about the Lord. He asks us all the time to confront and to do things that we can't do on our own. You know that phrase, the old cliche, God will never give you more than you can handle? That's a lie. <laughs> All the time, God will give you more than you can handle. Why? Because he wants you to lean into him. He wants you to remember what we talked about this morning, that he's right there with us. He's going to walk through no matter what comes up against us. He wants to be there and to know, okay, I can't do this on my own. I need you, Lord. And all the time he asks us to do those things and to go those places and to confront those things in our lives and we can't let fear hold us back from what God wants to do in our lives. Do you know that some version of don't fear is the most common command in the Bible? Do not fear, do not be afraid, fear not, whatever one it may be, it's the most common command in scripture. And I think God put that in there so many times because he knows us. And he knows that we give in to those things, as, as stupid as it may be to say, hey, I can't go jump in the ocean with my kids because I watched Jaws when I was a kid. Whatever it may be in your life, he knows that already. And he wants us to overcome that. Don't let fear win. Uh, I had two passages, one of them I read already, and I will read it again. But I had two passages, and they were both so good, I wanted to read both of them to you this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. Everybody say, I'm a human being. being. All right, if your neighbor didn't say that, you need to scoot away from him a little bit. I I don't know what's going on there. It says, because we're human beings, we're made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Come on, right there in that verse, the kingpins of fever themselves, devil and death. Those are the things that cause people more fear than any of these other things that were on the list of common phobias. In fact, all of those common phobias they probably trace back somewhere to is of the devil or it's because we're afraid of death or the power of death. And right there in that verse... Jesus tells us, I overcame them. I became just like you so I could experience what you're experiencing and break the power of it in your life. And he became flesh just like us so that the devil and death couldn't have a hold on our lives and have fear. Man, thank you, Jesus, for setting us free. Thank you that you came and did what you did so we don't have to be afraid. That's, we need to keep ourselves in that place of remembering that. And the, and the other one that I read already during worship, Isaiah 43, uh, I'll just read it again to you right now. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. If you didn't get quiet and just listen to it during worship, do that right now and just let this wash over you one more time. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, 
You will not be burned and the flames will not consume you. Man, that's good stuff, Lord. Thanks for putting that in your word. When I was looking at that verse, there, there are a couple things in there that jumped out at me, the deep. Anybody ever feel like you're in over your head in a situation? We, we get in those places where it's like, man, I am overwhelmed already. I don't know what to do. I am over my head. I am out of my depth on this one. Jesus says in those places, you don't have to fear. He'll, he'll help you. He will, he will be what you lack. And then he says the rivers of difficulty. I think anybody ever have a situation where you feel like everything's rushing and swirling around you? You can't even see straight. You don't know what's going on. You don't even know what to look at because you're going to miss something else that's happening. Do you know those are like rivers of difficulty swirling all around us? And we could be swept away, but God says, you don't have to fear in those places because I'm with you. Come on, that intimate, perfect love relationship that we have, that he is with us, causes fear to leave from our lives. And I, I know if, you're, if you are a human being and you are in this room this morning, you have felt the fires, just intense pressures in our lives and attacks and things that seem like they won't relent. And the heat is on. I got, I'm song lyric man. Like those are the things that pop into my head while I'm preaching. The heat is on. We've all been in that place where we feel the heat is on. And even in that moment, God says, you're not going to be burned. Just, just hold on a second. Just relax. Maybe, maybe he's going to remind you, hey, you need to go back and read that story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego again. Even, even in the fire, I'm going to be with you. You will not be burned. You don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen, of what man could do to you. We are his, and he is with us. And that's good news for us this morning. Don't, don't give in to fear. And I, I was thinking just practically, don't feed fear in your life. Feed your spirit, man. Don't feed fear. You know, and I'm not, come on, I'm not Mr. Old Fogey, don't have fun, don't do any of these things. But sometimes we feed fear, and maybe we need to turn the news off for a little bit. Maybe your fears are like, oh, look at all these bad things going on in the world. We're, we should be so concerned. Maybe you just need to stop watching the news and listen to what Jesus says. Maybe you don't need to watch Jaws. Of course, of course our, the current generation, how many under, under 30s have watched Jaws and you're like, what is that to be afraid of? Like, it's a big rubber shark going like this in the water and there's the special effects back then were crappy like maybe that's what you're thinking but like like trust me as a young child that was intensely frightening (laughs) and there are movies today that that we're feeding ourselves on these come on horror movies are enormously popular because people love to be scared and love that jump but what if it's feeding something in us that's unhealthy what if all those things are, are causing us to have irrational fear in our life that's holding us back and causing us to miss out on what god has for us Maybe, maybe I just need to turn off Shark Week. Sorry, bud. Not going to do it this year. I don't know what it is for us, but I just know stop feeding fear in your life and feed your spirit, man. Look at these promises that God has for us and say, I don't have to give in to fear in my life. That's, that's good news right there. Don't give in to fear. So that's, that's the first lesson this morning. If we want to be successful and have a bright future, don't give in to fear. Don't let it rule your life. Uh, a couple other ones that I have this morning I just want to hit pretty quickly. Uh, number two is control your responses. 
control your responses. We, come on, we live in a place, and and I am this way, we want to be in charge of everything. I want to be in charge of the thermostat. I want to run the remote for the TV. There are things I want to be in control of how people treat me and what goes on, where we choose to eat, what kind of ice cream we get. Come on, how many of you resonate with that? I want to be in charge. Only, Only one person's willing to admit that, and he's standing up here in the front. Come on, I know some of you guys. If we're honest about it, we want to be in control of things. And in reality, there aren't many things that you can control in your life. Do you know how I know that? I know that because A, you're not God. And B, there's other people in life. Those two things right there tells me that there aren't many things I can control in life. If I was God, we'd be in a world of hurt. That would... I don't think I would do it well, so I'm happy that he's who he is, and I am who I am. In fact, I think you will stress yourself to death if you try to control everything in your life. There there are seasons that we've all probably gone through where I've tried to control every situation and how everybody interacts and all these different things, and it's just stressful, and it causes us to be unhealthy, and we need to let that go. There is only one thing in life that you have the ability to control. And it's your reaction in any circumstance. That's pretty much it. You have a choice. They're, they're all looking at the wall. The thumping is the nursery. It was right on the other side of that wall. That's, and I'm, it's, it's not any... It's, yeah, kickball me. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just having visions. Like As human beings, we fill in everything that we don't know with the worst possible scenario. And I'm picturing like some little toddler jacking the other one up against the wall. Like, give me your milk money. Like... That's not what that thump was. It's Jaws. <laughs> oh, we ought to just leave now. I'm done. That's, how do you get the train back on the tracks after that? Oh, the only thing that we really have the power to control in life is how we react to a circumstance. And I will tell you how we react is a test you get more than once. Per day, per hour. That, that is a test that comes up all the time. How am I going to react to what happens to me? Was I selfish in my choice that I made? Come on, we, we go to the store to get Pam some ice cream. And do you know what ice cream we end up coming home with? It's the, ki- the kind I like. I'll just... Or, or it's like, hey, Pam, I got you this ice cream at the store and just happened to put my own in the cart with it while I was there. Come on, there, there, there are reactions that we have that we have to gauge. Was I selfish in that reaction? Uh, was I angry when I responded? How, how many fingers did I hold up at that driver that cut me off? Five. I was waving. Like, good job, buddy. <laughs> Come on, we we have an opportunity in that moment to control how we're going to react. Did I let my words be colored by anger? Was I rude? Did I hold a grudge against somebody when they did something to me? These are all reactions that we have, that we have a choice over how we're going to respond. Here's a quote from Viktor Frankl. This guy was actually a Holocaust survivor. And he went on, he survived and went on to to write some books and to do some consulting and some psychiatric things even. Uh, But this is one of the things he said that just struck me was profound. Victor Frankl said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, 
to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. If this guy, who's being hated and made to suffer in a concentration camp by people that wanted to kill him, that didn't even care enough to feed him, you see the pictures of them emaciated and just suffering horribly. If he can say that, I still had a choice of how to respond in that moment. What excuse do I have for how I respond? Take it out of that context, if Jesus, hanging on the cross, can look at the guys that beat him and whipped him and nailed him to the cross, and he can say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. If he could choose his response in that moment, what excuse do I have for flying off the handle and not responding well? And you may be asking, how can you control your response? It's, it's just me. You don't know who I am. It's, I'm Italian. Come on, anybody ever try to use that excuse? We pull our ethnicity out and say, well, that's, I'm a hothead. It runs in my family. Here's how you can control what you do in any situation. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and everybody say that one with me. Self-control. Self-control. That is part of what the Holy Spirit is developing in our lives. And if I say I can't control how I can react, then I'm impugning the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he's been sent to do. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the one that, through my beliefs and my actions and the things that I do, that I'm virtually shaking my finger at the Lord and saying, you can't do anything about this. Ouch. You can say amen or you can say ouch, but I know one of those is good. Because he wants to develop that in my life. The Holy Spirit, in addition to all those things that he's doing, one of the things that he's developing in me is how do I handle myself in any given situation, no matter what comes against me, what's going on around me, I have a choice of how to respond. And it's, it was amazing. I was looking at that verse this week, and uh, the word that's translated as self-control, the, the root word for that in the Greek is the same word that implies lordship. And I thought, man, his control enables our control. Let me say that again. His control enables our control. You want to have self-control in your life and how you respond to people around you. We need to yield to the Lord. We need to hear his voice, whether it's him speaking to us directly or somebody close to us in our life saying, hey, you know how you responded the other day? That wasn't good. We need to let him work on us and yield to him. And then what happens is his lordship enables the lordship of self-control to happen in our lives. So if you want to be successful, have a bright future, we need to learn to control our responses. All right, everybody say that was a good one, Pastor Chris. Thank you for that. I'm, I'm going to edit out of the sermon on, when we put it online. I'm going to edit out the part where I asked for it. And I'm just going to put in you guys saying that. <laughs> oh, Here's the last one to wrap up the whole series because it really does boil down to this. If you want to learn this lesson to be successful in life, love one another. Come on. After all years of church history and debates and theology and things people arguing about doctrine, it really does boil down to this. Love one another. If we do that well, all these other things will fall into place. 
It is the most important and central thing to the message of Christianity. I believe love is what's in there. Love motivated God. Love is what Jesus did when he came to display God's love for us. Love is what we're called to do to one another and the world around us. If we want to succeed in our spiritual walk, if we want to have favor with people around us, if we want success in our lives uh, and excelling at the things that are truly valuable, we will learn to love one another. Man, we get so caught up in trying to come up with some new evangelism model or some great next thing to, to grow things and to do things, and it keeps boiling back down to love one another. Here's, uh, in John chapter 13, Jesus gave this command, and he said, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Come on, this is the evidence to the world that we are Jesus followers. We, we claim his name, we say we're Christians, we put bumper stickers on our car. You can do all those things. You can wear the latest and greatest Christian t-shirt. I don't even know what bracelets are in after WWJD. Is, is that like... 20 years later, we still got the same bracelet on our wrist, and now there's a little groove in our skin. I don't, whatever you could do, you can have all these outward signs of it, but the true evidence that we are following Jesus well is, are we loving one another? That was the command that he gave to us. Oh, that Friday night we talked about uh, church being a no-drama zone. <laughs> and it really boils down to, there, there will be no drama in our lives if we truly, genuinely love one another. If, if my motivation for my interactions with you, if my motivation for the things I say, the things I do, if it really is truly love, there's not going to be a whole lot of drama going on. Man, not just any kind of love either, because the verse before that, Jesus had just gotten done saying, the same love that I loved you with. It's, it's not selfishly motivated love. It's not love with a hook in it. I love you because of what I can get out of you. It's just, I love you, Period. And that's the kind of love that Jesus displayed and what he did. And he turns around and says, do this to others. That same love I had for you, love each other with that. And the guy who wrote down those words of Jesus knew about the importance of love. The Apostle Paul was an amazing man. Uh, think about where he came from. This is the guy, when Jesus called him, he was one of the sons of thunder. You know, I have no idea what that means, but if you've earned the nickname, the Sons of Thunder, I bet it's not because you're just a meek, mild-mannered, quiet, I love everybody person. Here's a Son of Thunder, and he has this encounter with love that changes and transforms his life forever. He writes down in the gospel several times the apostle that Jesus loved. He's, he's speaking in third person about himself. He's saying, Jesus turned to the, the apostle that he loves. I'm like... It's pretty brash to write that in there about yourself. How did you get that title? And it wasn't because John thought, I'm different than everybody else. He just had had this encounter where he knew Jesus loved me and it so changed me that I can love others that way now. He led the church at Jerusalem for a whole bunch of years. He, they think he retired to Ephesus later in life or had to move there. But he's, he's leading the church. He's experiencing the ups and downs, the persecutions, the successes. He saw the church grow to 3,000 in one day, but he also saw the Jews and the Roman government begin to persecute and kill Christians. He saw it all. And he wrote several letters later in life, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in our scriptures. And after all those things that you saw, you know, if, if you'd been leading the church... For 50 years. What would you write? 
Would you write, hey, make sure you have these offices in the church. Set the government up this way. Make sure you put the coffee on that side of the room in the foyer and not that side of the room. I mean, think about it. After all those years, you've seen some things that worked. You've seen some things that were horrible. What would you write to the coming generations to say, this is the most important thing. I'm, I'm getting to the end of my race, and I want to pass on what's key. And John writes in 1 John 4, 7, dear friends, love one another. After 50 years, I could have written you a 500-page book about how to do church. And he writes a letter that says, dear friends, love one another. That's the most important thing that you could do. He didn't write about governmental order or how to run a church service. How do we love each other? Because that's our witness to the world. He talks about God's love being proved by what Jesus came and did on the cross. And then in 1 John 4.11, he says, delightfully loved ones... If he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. Loving people should be second nature to us because it's his nature. If he is truly developing his character, his nature, the essence of who he is in us, then we will love people the same way that he did. I'd like us to go ahead and stand for a second as I want to read this last verse over us. I just thought this was an amazing way to put it. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 22 in the Message Bible says this. Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your lives depended on it. Can we read the second half of that verse together, starting with love? Love one another as if your lives depended on it. Our lives do depend on it. And honestly, our lives aren't the only ones that depend on it. There is a world out there that needs to see what true love looks like. There is a world out there that needs to see what is the essence that would drive someone to step out of heaven, come walk on earth as a man, taste death for us, even death on a cross, so that he could give his life to us. What kind of love is that? What does that look like? That's what the world is waiting to see. Part of our Christian witness, part of our telling the world who Jesus is and making him real to them is how we love people. And right now, even while Silas is playing the keyboard here, I just want you to take a moment. We're, We're in a season, we're thinking about Easter, people are open to talking about Jesus more than they are other times of the year. I want to take a second just to pray before we go for who's on your heart. Is there somebody that you know that needs to have an encounter with Jesus? That needs to meet him? That needs to experience his love to such a depth that he would know that it's real? He or she? I want everybody to just take a second and think of somebody. Who who is on your heart? Who have you been praying for? Who needs to know his love? And then this is the practical thing that I want you to do you've got a name in your heart that's come to your mind, somebody that you've been praying for, I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them who you're praying for, who's on your heart. It's okay, you, can, you guys can talk, you can look at each other for a moment. This is not an every head bowed and every eye closed moment. Alright. So if you've told somebody next to you that name, what I would like you to do is for, for each other, the person that you just told that name to, 
And please, not long, not involved, not deep, pray a 10 to 15 second prayer for who your neighbor just told you about. If, if Pam said the word Joe to me, I'm going to pray for Joe right now. So just take a second, do that for each other. Take, take 10 to 15 seconds each, pray for the name of the person that your neighbor just told you about. seconds of prayer anybody ever wonder what did that feel like when Jesus came back to the disciples and said couldn't you even pray with me an hour and sometimes we're like come on it's been 30 seconds are we moving on already I just want to pray and just agree with you guys for who you've prayed for in this room that that we would have opportunities to tell people about Jesus invite them to church whatever it is during this coming season just to let them know that Jesus loved them so let's pray together Father, I come before you right now. I thank you for the prayers that were offered up in this room. Prayers infused with faith and standing in the power of the name of Jesus. We declare that these prayers are effective, Lord God, and that they will produce because of who you are, not because of who we are. And so, Lord, right now, for every name that was lifted up before you this morning, we thank you for opportunities for them to encounter you in a real and tangible way, that your love would overwhelm them, that they would have an experience where they realize that more than anyone else or at any time in their lives that they've ever been loved, your love goes beyond. That you stepped out of eternity strictly to come and save them. Lord, let that be real in the lives of the people we prayed for in this room this morning. We thank you for an awakening in their hearts to come to know you and to experience the great love for you have for them. We thank you for salvation coming to their lives, Lord God, that they would bow their heart and their knee to you and call on you as their Lord to save them. God, we thank you for who you are, what you've done in our lives, and what you've asked us to do in the lives of those around us. God, I ask that as we leave this place today, we would excel in loving one another. Lord, do something in us first. Lord, grab our heart. Grip us, Lord God, with the love that you have for us. And let us turn around and give it away to others. Lord, I thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you that you've called us your family, your children, Lord God. Just bless us even as we go from this place. Let your goodness and your mercy overflow in our lives. Let our lives be living letters and testimonies of your goodness to everybody that we encounter. God, bless us indeed in Jesus' name. Amen.